0: Welcome to the New to Jesus podcast, where we find foundational truths to help you take your first steps in your walk with Christ. Hey, this is Dan Bergman. Welcome back to the New to Jesus podcast. And in this episode, we're going to look into John chapter 16. To recap what we've looked at so far, we've talked about our mission as believers, as causing others to believe in the Messiah and bringing all glory to God. We've also seen that Jesus has given us a new commandment to love each other as he has loved us. We also have a new condition of hatred from the lost world because of Jesus' testimony. And the last thing we talked about is our new companion in ministry and life, the Holy Spirit. Chapter 16 begins by continuing this thought. As we look in the last verse, our last couple of verses of John chapter 15, starting in verse number 26 to kind of bring us up to verse 1 of 16. It says, but this cometh to pass in verse 26 of chapter 15, that the word might be fulfilled that is written in their law, they hated me without a cause. But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me, And ye also shall bear witness, because ye have been with me from the beginning. So when we finish John chapter 15, he's talking about the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, and that he would be the one to bear witness of the truth that he has been teaching, both to believers and also to convict unbelievers of their sin. That's part of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. But when we begin in verse 1 of John chapter 16, Jesus says, These things have I spoken unto you, that ye should not be offended. Offended here means to cease believing, or to stumble, or to fall into sin. Jesus is warning his disciples about the difficulties to come, and the Holy Spirit's help through those difficulties. He says in verse two, they shall put you out of the synagogues, yea, the time cometh that whosoever killeth you will think that he doeth God service. In the first century, taking the gospel to the Jewish people was a very dangerous endeavor. This is a commonly neglected truth when interpreting certain passages of scripture. I won't go into it now in this episode, but there is a teaching known as replacement theology or covenant theology, or also known as supersessionism. And those are some fancy words to simply say that they believe that the church is the new Israel, that the church, that believers, replace Israel and the Jewish people. But as we look through scripture, nothing could be farther from the truth. And so many people get bent out of shape when they look at Romans chapters 9, 10, and 11, when they remove it from the context of the fact that it's talking about the Jewish people. The Bible says in Romans chapter 1, and verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek or to the non-Jew. I have a Jewish background on my dad's side. And I didn't realize until after I became a believer in Jesus when I was 15, I didn't realize until after that how thick the connection is, how strong the connection is between the Jewish people, the Hebrew scriptures, and the gospel, Jesus being the promised Messiah of the Jewish people. And so when we look through these things in the book of John and the other gospel accounts, when we look through the letters of Paul, when we look through the book of Revelation, we need to keep everything in its proper context that is dealing with the Jewish people and the nation of Israel. So much of the scripture deals with that subject. And people that believe that the church has replaced Israel, they oftentimes will read scripture out of context and misapply things that are written to Israel and apply it to the church. Um, I'm planning on doing a special episode specifically about this false teaching and how we need to read Scripture with Jewish glasses on, Israel glasses on, Um, meaning we need to read it in its proper context, which is embedded in the Jewish people and the Hebrew Scriptures. And so it's very important that when we look at Scripture, We look at it in the correct context. So as we continue this thought of the persecution that the early church would face at the hand of those uh, in the scribes, Pharisees, Sadducees, Jesus continues in verse number three and he says, and these things will they do unto you because they have not known the Father nor me. Now, these verses that we're reading in regards to persecution in the context have to do with the early church, the apostles, and their persecution at the hands of those in power in the Jewish religious authority. But this persecution in our context can come from anywhere. And those that are Christians, those that are believers throughout the centuries, have faced persecution from those that actually called themselves Christians, believe it or not. People were burned at the stake for teaching the Lord's Prayer to their children in English by the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, The Catholic Church has also, throughout the centuries, persecuted not only true believers, but it's also persecuted Jewish people in, in, in horrible, horrendous ways. They've persecuted many people of other faiths in ways that are just completely contrary to what Jesus taught. If we look through the passages that we read in John chapter 15 and the commandments to love one another, the things that were done by the Roman Catholic Church in the name of Christ to multitudes of people were actually anti-Christ. They were against Christ, against Jesus' teaching, and went against every single thing that he stood for. And it's so sad that so many people nowadays you know, a couple hundred years removed from a lot of that persecution. Um, Although, uh, in the last century, the Holocaust, um, there was much done by those that were part of the Roman Catholic Church, as well as the Lutheran Church, that goes completely against what Jesus taught. And as we read um, in John chapter 15, where Jesus talks about, by their fruit, you shall know them. The fruit that was produced by so many that claimed to be Christian actually showed, the fruit actually showed that these people were not Christians at all. They were having people killed. I mean, how much more of a fruit of evil do you need to realize that these people were not true christians they were not followers of christ they were not followers of the teachings of jesus they have not trusted jesus by faith alone they were trusting in their religion and so i want to make that distinction now but as we live the christian life we face persecution the people in the first century faced great persecution from the roman empire Many were burned at the stake or thrown to the lions or put in gladiatorial games. All kinds of things happened to them by way of physical persecution from the Roman Empire. The persecution that you and I face today in different parts of the world, people are suffering physically because of their faith. Um, The worst that we receive here in America is oftentimes, you know, slander or verbal abuse, um, but not anywhere near the extent of those that faced persecution in the first century or in areas where Christianity is basically illegal. Um, We need to pray for our brethren all over the world that are living in the shadow of um, a regime that vilifies Christianity. Persecution is real. But he says, but these things in verse 4, have I told you, that when the time shall come, you may remember that which I told you of them. And these things I said not unto you at the beginning, because I was with you. But now I go my way to him that sent me. And none of you asketh me whither thou goest. Basically, where are you going? But because I have said these things unto you, sorrow hath filled your heart. Jesus is telling them that he's getting ready to leave. And they don't really understand. They don't really comprehend what he is telling them. Although he specifically told them, a number of different times that he must um, be delivered into the hands of the scribes and Pharisees and be killed, and then on the third day he would rise again. He was specific in what would happen to him. But they're confused because a lot of them had the idea that he was going to deliver them from Roman oppression. And so when it starts to get real, and he's like, the time has come, I am about to depart out of this world, they're starting to get afraid, they're starting to get sorrowful. And he says, because I've said these things unto you, sorrow hath filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient or beneficial for you that I go away. It's beneficial for you that I die. For if I go not away, the comforter, which we've learned is the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth. If I go not away, the comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. Jesus was going to die. He was going to rise again three days later. And then he was going to ascend into heaven. And after his ascension into heaven, he would send the Holy Spirit, the Comforter. And he's basically telling them, if I don't do this, then the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. The Holy Spirit has a ministry to the unsaved, and that's to reprove them, basically to convict them of their need. He will reprove the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment, of sin because they believe not on me. The Holy Spirit is one to bring to light our guilt and our sin, and our condemnation before God if we don't know Jesus as our Savior. He will convict the world of these things. Of righteousness, verse 10, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. The Holy Spirit is going to convict the world of what is right. Not meaning that they're going to believe or submit to the Holy Spirit, but that he is nonetheless going to Convict them of that in their heart to realize what is right. Also, verse 11 of judgment, because the prince of this world is judged. Meaning, the Holy Spirit is going to bring to light the fact that judgment is coming, that we are accountable to somebody. He's going to give this kind of conviction that there is a need to be saved from our sin, that we are unrighteous that God is holy, that God is righteous, and that we need to be saved because there is a judgment coming. Jesus knows what is best for us. It was needful that he die, rise again, and ascend to send us the Holy Spirit. This is how he would, quote-unquote, draw all men unto himself, as it says in John chapter 12 and verse 32. The Holy Spirit would woo people to bring people to Jesus, to help them realize their need. But there's also another need that somebody needs to share with that person the specific revelation of God, meaning the gospel. The Holy Spirit will help them to know that they're guilty. The Holy Spirit will help them to know that there is a holy God that they are accountable to, but they need somebody to tell them the answer to that condemnation, is Jesus. The way to receive salvation from that condemnation is only through Jesus. And you and I, we have been given the task to partner with the Holy Spirit and share the gospel with a lost and dying world. Jesus says in verse 12, I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. See, the Lord doesn't give us everything at once. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. He's there to strengthen, and encourage, and grow us, not to beat us into the ground. And his conviction is loving but firm and true. And so he holds back on some things because he says, Disciples, if I told you everything, you wouldn't be able to bear it right now. Verse number 13, Jesus says, How be it when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, He will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. The disciples, the apostles, they were going to receive revelation from God about what was to come. One of the foremost prophetic books of the New Testament was written by the same apostle, the same disciple, that wrote this the Gospel of John. That same John wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and then he also wrote the book of Revelation. And so the Holy Spirit was going to give the apostles prophetic truths about the future. We find these written and penned in the completed Word of God. The Holy Spirit was going to lead them into these truths. Now, I don't believe this is referring to believers being given revelations and prophecies throughout the ages. Okay? It's not that you and I are going to have heavens opened and God giving us another book of the Bible. God's revelation to mankind is complete. The Bible says that there would come a day when prophecies. Would cease. I believe that that day came with the completion of the revelation of the Word of God in the first century. When the book of the Revelation was finished, the last book of the New Testament, I believe that that was the final prophetic word. What this verse is talking about is that the penmen of Scripture, those that wrote the Scripture, would be inspired by the Spirit of God and moved by Him to write the words of scripture, which you hold in your hand or have on your phone. It's a completed revelation. Now that's not to say that the Holy Spirit doesn't speak to us in in, in a way of illuminating the word of God to us. The word of God, the Bible, is how God speaks to us today. When you read the pages of scripture, if you have the Holy Spirit within you, there's many times when the Holy Spirit will just prick your heart or prompt you to feel like, God is just speaking directly to you, and he makes that real in your heart and life. It's not like an audible voice, but it's a leading, it's a prompting, it's a conviction. That's how the Holy Spirit works through the Word of God to teach us and to guide us. And however the Holy Spirit leads or guides us will never, ever, ever contradict the written Word of God the Holy Spirit's not going to tell you to do something that the Bible says not to do. You can mark it down and be assured that whatever you're hearing, if it says things that are contrary to the word of God, that that voice or that whatever it is you're hearing is not from God. It's not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit isn't going to be an audible voice. And I've gotten messages from people and comments from people. How do I hear the voice of God? I want to hear the Holy Spirit. I I feel like he's not speaking to me. How, How do I hear the voice of God? It's as simple as this. Open your Bible. Ask God to reveal to you if there's any sin in your life, anything that you've not confessed and repented of, something that's between you and the Lord. See, we can't lose our salvation, but we can lose our fellowship with God if we have unconfessed sin in our life. So how do you hear the voice of God? Open your Bible. You ask God to reveal to you if there's any unconfessed sin in your heart and life. You confess it, forsake it, repent of it, make it right with God. And then as you read the words of God, the Holy Spirit will help you to understand how those truths can apply to you. That's how we hear the voice of God. The voice of God comes to us through the scripture, the written word. And so Jesus continues in verse number 14. Speaking of the Holy Spirit, he says, He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine, and I shall show it unto you. All the things that the Father hath are mine. Therefore said I that he shall take of mine and shall show it unto you. Basically, in a nutshell, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are one. They're not going to contradict each other. Jesus glorifies the Father, the Holy Spirit glorifies the Son. The Holy Spirit speaks to us through the written word of God. And it says in John 14, a couple chapters back, in verse number 26, These things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. Again, it was a very special circumstance for the apostles and those that would end up penning the scripture that the holy spirit would give them supernatural recollection of the things that jesus had taught them it also says in second peter 1:21 for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man but holy men of god spake as they were moved by the holy ghost the bible also says that all scripture is given by inspiration of god and that word inspiration means god breathed okay god is the author And those that wrote the scripture were simply the penmen. God used their personalities, their writing style, their experience in the books that they wrote. But the true author is God. And that's what this verse in John 14 is speaking of. That God would speak through them to write the word of God for us today. In verse number 16, Jesus says, a little while and you shall not see me, and again, a little while and you shall see me, because I go to the Father. Then said some of the disciples among themselves, what is this that he saith unto us, a little while and you shall not see me, and again, a little while and you shall see me, and because I go to the Father. They're like, what in the world is he talking about? They said, therefore, what is this that he saith, a little while? We cannot tell what he saith. Now, Jesus knew that they were desirous to ask him and said unto them, Do ye inquire among yourselves of that I said a little while, and ye shall not see me? And again, a little while, and ye shall see me? Jesus is speaking here of his impending death and burial. A little while, and you're not going to see me. And then a little while later, the resurrection you shall see me again. So he's speaking to them about his death, burial, and resurrection. That once he dies and is buried, they're not going to see him for a little while. And then once he rises from the dead, they're going to see him again. Verse 20, Verily, verily, I say unto you that you shall weep and lament, but the world shall rejoice. And ye shall be sorrowful, but your sorrow shall be turned into joy. A woman, when she is in travail, when she's in labor, hath sorrow because her hour is come. But as soon as she is delivered of the child, she remembereth no more the anguish for joy that a man is born into the world. She forgets all of the labor, all of the pain, all of the difficulty when she's finally holding that baby. And Jesus says, and ye now therefore have sorrow, but I will see you Again, and your heart shall rejoice, and your joy no man taketh from you. Are you experiencing this joy? Have you experienced the joy of the resurrection? Because Jesus lives, we can live too, and He lives within our hearts. He's on the right hand of God, and He's coming again. And we have an assurance of hope, a certainty that if we've trusted Jesus alone to save us from our sin, we will one day be with Jesus in the presence of the Father. And we get to experience that when he recreates the new heaven and the new earth, where we will be for all eternity with the Lord. Uh, That can give you joy that nobody can take away. No circumstance in this earth, no sickness, no difficulty, no problem, can invade and take away that joy. Why? Because the joy of salvation It cannot change. Our salvation is secure in Christ. There's nothing that can take it away. And it's eternal. And Jesus says in verse 23, And in that day you shall ask me nothing. Verily, verily, I say unto you, whatsoever ye shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it you. Hitherto have ye asked nothing in my name. Ask and ye shall receive, that your joy may be full. Going back to reiterate something that I've talked about a couple of different times, when it talks about praying in Jesus' name, it's not just tacking on an address at the end of the prayer. It's not just, you know, having some kind of, I don't know, ending to your prayer by saying in Jesus' name. It's not an abracadabra, magic rabbit's foot, lucky rabbit's foot to give you the answer that you're seeking for. It has the specific idea of what you are praying for, you are praying for to affect the glory of Jesus. You're praying for these things, for Jesus's glory, for Jesus's fame, for, for Jesus to receive honor, for Jesus to be glorified as we carry out his commandments and his mission, which is to share the gospel with people. That's what it means to pray in Jesus's name. But are you experiencing this reality? Are you experiencing the joy uh, that Jesus is talking about? If you're curious about, you know that you're saved, but you're, you're, you're not experiencing this joy. I want you to go back a couple episodes to the episode entitled The Power of Biblical Thinking. I also have a video version of this on my YouTube channel. But I made this, this video, this message that I'm referring to, The Power of Biblical Thinking, a couple episodes back, in order to help people get, get unstuck, You know, feeling like you're stuck in a rut in your Christian life, you're not experiencing joy, you're not experiencing peace, and maybe you're struggling with sin. There's a lot of different things that can go wrong in the life of a Christian if we're not thinking biblically, if our perspective isn't adjusted correctly regarding so many things about our faith. And so I encourage you, if you're struggling with um, needing to have that joy in your life, go back a couple episodes to The Power of Biblical Thinking, or check it out on my YouTube channel, How to Get Unstuck in the Christian Life. But as we continue, in John chapter 16, verse number 25, he says, These things have I spoken unto you in Proverbs. But the time cometh when I shall no more speak unto you in Proverbs. What's a proverb? A proverb is like an illustration. It's an illustration to convey a truth, but it also is kind of, sometimes has veiled meanings, meaning those that are just looking to trip Jesus up, those that just want to catch him and and, and try and make him look bad, they're not going to understand the meaning of the Proverbs or the parables, They're not going to understand those things. But those that are sincerely, truly seeking for the truth, they're going to understand the meaning behind the parables and Proverbs that Jesus speaks. So he says, These things have I spoken unto you in Proverbs, but the time cometh when I shall no more speak unto you in Proverbs, but I shall show you plainly of the Father. At that day you shall ask in my name, and I shall not say unto you that I will pray the Father for you, for the Father himself love with you because ye have loved me and have believed that I came out from God I came forth from the Father I am come into the world again I leave the world and go to the Father Jesus is our advocate Jesus is our our high priest he is the mediator between God and man the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4 verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession, for we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted, like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. you ever felt like nobody understands? Nobody can identify with what you're going through. Jesus can. Jesus can. The Bible says that in every single way that you and I can go through a trial, every single thing that you and I can face, every single thing that you and I can be tempted with, Jesus has experienced all of those things, yet wholly and completely and totally without sin. So he's able to identify with us in everything that we face. And then in addition to that, when Jesus was on the cross, do you know what he suffered? Do you know what he experienced? He experienced the entire complete wrath of God for the sins of the world. Jesus experienced that. Even though he had no sin, he never sinned. He took on the punishment. He took on the wrath. The Bible says that he made him who knew no sin to become sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Jesus experienced it. The Bible doesn't say, but odds are, when we come to the end of Jesus's earthly ministry, end of Jesus's earthly life, Joseph is no longer in the picture. As Jesus is on the cross, he tells the apostle John, he says, basically, you're going to have to take care of my mother. He commits Mary into the trust and care of John. He wouldn't have had to do that if Joseph was still there. And we read in the Bible, in the book of Luke, that Joseph was a just man. He was an honorable man. He was one that followed the God of the Bible. He was the one that wanted to do right and putting Mary away privately. You know, he wanted to divorce her when he found out that she was with child. He wanted to divorce her privately, the Bible says, because he was a just man. He didn't want to drag Mary's name through the mud. He wanted to do what was right. And then he finds out that the child that she had was from the Holy Ghost, that she had not been unfaithful, but that the one that she carried in her womb supernaturally conceived was actually the Messiah, the Son of God. And so Joseph and Mary raised Jesus together, Joseph being kind of like a stepfather figure, if you will, Jesus' earthly father. But by the time Jesus is on the cross, Joseph is no longer there. We can pretty accurately surmise that Joseph at this point had actually passed away. What does this tell us? it tells us that Jesus knows what it's like to watch a loved one suffer and pass away. And perhaps even more devastating than that, Jesus would have had the power to heal him. But it simply was not the Father's will for him to do so. Jesus can identify with you in tiredness, in fatigue, in being rejected. All of his best friends, at the moment that he needed them the most, they all left him, which we're going to read in a couple of chapters here when that actually takes place. They all forsake him. Jesus knows what it's like. And because we have a great high priest that knows what all of our infirmities are like and was tempted in all points like as we are yet without sin, because of that, we can come boldly to the throne of grace to obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I'm so thankful for that. He knows what it's like. Verse 29, his disciples said unto him, "'Lo, now speakest thou plainly and speakest no proverb.'" Now are we sure that thou knowest all things, and needest not that any man should ask thee? By this we believe that thou camest forth from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour cometh, yea, and is now come, that ye shall be scattered, every man to his own, and shall leave me alone. Jesus is prophesying, You're all going to leave me. He says, yet I'm not alone because the father is with me. So a real quick fulfillment of this verse happens in Matthew chapter 26, verse 56, where it says, then all the disciples, all of them forsook him and fled. Just as Jesus said, when things got tough, when things got scary, they all ran from him. And left him to suffer alone. And then in verse 33, Jesus says, These things have I spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. How amazing is that? We can have faith, we can have joy. We can have hope, not because of anything that we can do, not because of anything that's within our own power, but because of what Jesus already did for us on the cross. We can have his peace in the midst of a tumultuous world, in the midst of a scary, chaotic world. We can have Jesus's peace and Jesus's joy. I hope this has been a blessing to you. I look forward to seeing you in the next episode. Thank you so much for listening to the New to Jesus podcast. You can go to our website, newtojesus.com. That's new, the number two, jesus.com. If you'd like to find me on social media, you can find me on Instagram and TikTok at danielbergman99. And if you'd like to rate and review this podcast on iTunes, that helps us to get in front of more people to help them take their first steps as new believers in Jesus.